On this episode, we're going to revisit cycles of stress and rest and talk about what to do when you can't seem to escape the stress cycle to actually get the rest you need. So many of us struggle with overwhelm and burnout. And when those things are happening in our bodies, it's next to impossible to cycle gently between stress and rest as we would like to in a healthy way. But with awareness comes strategies. And today we'll talk about practical strategies to move you forward. Welcome to Not Your Mama's Midlife Podcast with Stephanie Lee. On this show, we're going to talk about the experiences of high achieving women and men across industries and lifestyles who are at about the midpoint of their careers and are no longer satisfied to let life happen to them. Together, we're going to purposefully create the second half of our lives by addressing burnout and overwork, getting clarity on how we are creating the experience of our lives, how we're conspiring to keep ourselves stuck identifying and articulating what it is that we really want for the second half of our lives and creating a plan to achieve it. If you'll indulge me briefly, I want to revisit a concept that we talked about last year and share with you my updated thinking on the topic. Last year, in what was my first series of episodes on the podcast, we talked about how we might turn burnout into resilience by first changing our mindset about stress, second, interspersing periods of stress with rest and recovery, and three, purposefully soaking in these experiences to leverage neuroplasticity. In episode seven, we examined our mindset about stress. We talked about how we can change our mindset about stress and that research suggests that the deleterious effects of stress on our health come about when we believe that stress has a negative impact on our health and that viewing stress as an enhancer, a catalyst for growth may actually be protective in some way. Aliyah Crum, who's the Stanford psychologist whose research on stress and mindset is what I talked about in that episode, describes essentially two mindsets regarding stress. One, stress is harmful or two, stress is enhancing. As I told you in episode seven, I find the idea of stress as enhancing most accessible. That is, I can actually believe it when I view it through the lens of weight training. You lift weights, you tear and break down a muscle, and then you rest and your body rebuilds it stronger. Importantly, it requires both the tearing down of the muscle and the rest for the increase in strength to occur. Stuhlberg and Magnus in the book, Peak Performance, examined what makes high performers across domains, athletes, entrepreneurs, creatives, different from the rest of us. In this book, they coined the term growth equation, where growth equals stress plus rest. And they outlined the following steps to the equation. Isolate the muscle or capability you want to grow, stress it, rest and recover, and repeat, stressing the capability a bit more than you did last time. It's pretty easy to see how this might play out for athletes. If you're working to improve your 5K time, you can identify that as your goal, engaging training to increase your race pace, rest and recover between trainings, and repeat as your fitness increases. But according to Stolberg and Magnus, the same pattern is evident in creatives. 
They cite the work of Mikhai Csikszentmihalyi. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly based on what I could find on the Googles, but you'll have to check me out there. Certainly the spelling is in the show notes. That is Mikhai Csikszentmihalyi, who coined the term flow, which we now use to describe that place where the work or the creativity just appears to be cooking. Csikszentmihalyi found the creative geniuses alternate between periods of total immersion with their work and periods of rest and restoration. He described that total immersion as unremitting focus. We went on in episode eight to talk about applying the concept of stress and rest cycles to high achieving knowledge workers, like many of you. Specifically, we asked, what does this look like for the burned out knowledge worker who wants to get out of burnout and develop more resilience? This is the ability to engage in hard, rigorous, intense work, to be stressed, and then to come back to yourself relatively quickly where you're not recovering from the effects of stress quite so much. If you haven't listened to episode eight, I would encourage you to do so. We talked about the benefits of focused work. It feels good. We develop satisfaction from a job well done. The work is actually performed better and at higher quality, and it takes less time. And we talked about ways that we could effectively integrate rest during the workday, in the evening, on the weekends, and then for longer, more intermittent periods of vacation or time away. So I'm curious about whether or not you tried this approach. And if so, what did you learn? What went well? What was harder? I was using this technique in the fall, and I'm going to share with you some of what I observed for myself. Most notably, when it was time for me to rest, if I'm being like super diligent with this, I'll use a timer to decide how long I'm going to work and then rest. So what was most notable to me when the timer went off was a desire to just keep going, to not stop and rest so that I could rest completely when the job was done. And a not insignificant piece of this had to do with what I was thinking about taking a break. This is silly. I don't need to take a break. I can just keep going. This isn't actually long enough for a meaningful break anyway. I'd rather work straight through and just be done sooner. And actually it was that last one that was huge for me. I'll just keep pressing on and then I can be done and rest when it's all over. So that was my experience in the micro with daily stress and rest cycles, my mid workday kind of breaks, tremendous resistance to actually taking a rest break. But what I noticed when I didn't take those few minutes to recalibrate to rest, what I found was at the end of the day, it was very, very hard to come down from the day. I also noticed that I couldn't shut off. And I mentioned this on a later broadcast. I think it was the one where I talked to you about the metaphorical check engine light coming on. For me, I found myself tired and frayed around the edges and with the distinct feeling that I couldn't come down. Basically, I was having a challenging time with stress and rest cycles because I was having a hard time exiting the stress cycle, both in the macro overall, which led to the check engine light episode and in the day-to-day -day of working for a period and taking a break with the smaller incidents of not taking a break during the day, leading to the larger fatigue and feeling it resulted in the overall. So that was my experience. And I was wrestling through how to get my mind around it and what to do about it. I took a class in the fall called the burnout masterclass, 
from a trauma-informed life coach in the UK. Her name is Louise Lewis. And of course, I'll link her in the show notes. I've heard about and been exposed to polyvagal theory and the lens of viewing trauma through our nervous system before. But the way that Louise explained in her course, viewing burnout through the lens of the nervous system really hit home to me. And I suspect that it will for you too. Now I'm a student of these concepts and, and by no means do I have expertise. Typically, I like to share things with you that I feel like I have some mastery of, but that's not really the case here. I'm punching a bit above my weight class. That said, I would encourage you to access Louise's resources, as well as resources from Deb Dana and Steve Porges, all of which are going to be linked in the show notes, that will provide you with a deeper understanding of these concepts. And please do forgive me if I misstate something but we're going to look at burnout through the lens of the nervous system. All of you are likely familiar with the parasympathetic and sympathetic branches of the peripheral nervous system. As a reminder, we talk about parasympathetic as the rest and digest system. This is what calms us down, calms our breathing and lowers our heart rate. This is where we're functioning from when we're in complete safety. In polyvagal theory, this is simply referred to as our ventral vagal system or simply safe and social. And it shows up when we're safe and in connection with other humans. And then there's the sympathetic branch of our nervous system, also thought of as mobilization. And this is where we work. We get things done. We get up and go. I think here about the work of Aaliyah Crum and Kelly McGonigal's book, The Upside of Stress in This Light. We might think of this as our tend and befriend system and also our fight and flight system. And when fight and flight, it may look like anxiety or panicky sensations, an inability to be still, feeling of being on the hamster wheel, unable to get off, maybe prone to anger or irritability, unable to sleep, unable to settle down. Sound familiar? A healthy, regulated nervous system goes up into sympathetic to get things done and then fairly easily returns to parasympathetic for rest. Basically, what I suggested for you is a way to cultivate resilience and what is represented in stress and rest cycles. But if we are indeed already burned out, if we are depleted by a series of stressful weeks or months at work, if we're on the heels of a pandemic, if we're also dealing with family stressors, we may have, probably have, already depleted our nervous system resources that allow us to gently cycle back and forth between our parasympathetic and our sympathetic nervous systems. And from this already depleted state, we'll eventually get overwhelmed and go into shutdown. This is called dorsal vagal or immobilization. And it's characterized by deep down shutdown, and it corresponds with freeze or fawn responses in the nervous system. You might think of this as the parasympathetic branch of your nervous system going into overdrive. It can look like depression, immobility, pain, heaviness, learned helplessness. It's about conserving energy and movement. It might look like going home and laying on the couch for several days. So to look at this through a different metaphor, if an animal is grazing in the field with no awareness of a threat, they're likely in their parasympathetic nervous system, ventral vagal. When they sense a threat and are running from a predator, they go into their sympathetic nervous system. When they run out of steam and lie still pretending they're already dead, they're in dorsal vagal. 
But high achievers and people who are passionate about their work, those who believe what they're doing is important, they can figure out how to override their nervous systems so that when they go into that deep down shutdown, they can actually push themselves back up into sympathetic to continue getting things done. And we do this by whipping ourselves up into a sympathetic state through exercise, which produces cortisol, a stress hormone, our self-talk, which becomes perhaps harsh, you've got to get this done, and other ways that we spur ourselves to get moving. For me, this voice sounds like you need to do this, and then you need to do this, and then you need to do this. One of the breakthroughs I had in 2022, and truly it was a breakthrough, was realizing that when I did sit down in the evening to rest, I was mentally going over a list, over and over a list of all of the things that I needed to do when I got up. Silly things. You're going to do the dishes, then you'll walk the dog, then you can come back in and finish that thing you need to finish before you go to shower and go to bed. All about push, 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 go, go, go. All of that when I'm trying to come home from my day and get ready for bed. And when we're doing this, when we're lighting a match under ourselves to keep us moving, we don't even realize we're doing it. You may notice your anxiety and your overwhelm, but identify less with the idea of a deep down shutdown because you're successfully pushing right through it. If this is something that you can relate to, You may have traits that look like both the high sympathetic anxiety and overwhelm and the deep down shutdown. Things like anxious, rushing, pushing, stressed out, and also crashing, sleeping, unable to do anything outside of the job. And why do we do this? We do this because we believe things like this is the price of success. This is what is required. My work is important. I'm needed. I'm the only one who can do this. So here's the other rub. These responses, both sympathetic, fight or flight, and the dorsal vagal are happening in our bodies. And they can't just be addressed by changing the way that we think about stress. We need interventions at the level of our bodies as well. And while a lot of the things that we do about stress are body-based, exercise, yoga, massage. What these may not address, unless we're intentional about it, is the nervous system's core need for safety. Because while we as evolved 21st century humans know that we are not in danger from work stress or life stress, our nervous systems are still running from a predator and need to complete that stress cycle and return to safety. So what the heck do we do about this? Number one, awareness. First, if this is new to you, I'm going to ask you to look at your own burnout or fatigue through this lens and see if it resonates for you or not. If not, totally fine. Let's see if it does. Two, notice when you're pushing yourself, not only pushing yourself to get things done or accomplish a task, but notice when you're just pushing yourself to go from one thing to the next thing, eating fast, talking fast, walking fast sort of like my voice telling me I need to do this and then this and then this. A question that I'm asking myself these days is what can I do more slowly or softly? Now that I've noticed, especially the eating fast and walking fast, I'm much more able to remind myself that I can slow down. There are times when I want to move quickly, 
but really there is probably no time that eating fast serves me well. Certainly not my goals to lose weight, but so often I move fast just out of habit, walking heavily, gripping tightly, clenching my jaw. Just check in every once in a while to slow and soften. I'm doing more walking than running now, and this is partially why. Walking for sure pulls me out of the intensity of a nervous system response and allows me to discharge that energy rather than ramping it up. Strike a compassionate tone. Notice your inner voice and how you talk to yourself. Find some nervous system regulation exercises. We're going to talk next week about how we can purposefully integrate these into our stress and rest cycles, but you can also Google them and search for them on Instagram. Find some that work for you and don't feel awkward. Things like orienting to pleasure, relaxing and allowing yourself to be supported by what you're sitting on, simply checking in with your body, a physiological sigh and other breathing exercises, and exercises that utilize both sides of your brain, anything that happens on both sides of your body. Examine where you have thoughts and beliefs that are causing you to continue to show up in ways that overwhelm your system. Something, for example, like stress and burnout are just part and parcel of a job of this kind or at this level. Identify a minimum daily baseline. What are one or two things that you can do, preferably daily or daily-ish, to take care of yourself? For me, this is adequate sleep and walking. These are my non-negotiables. I've just shared with you that we need body-based strategies, but I'm also going to share with you some cognitive strategies that I've been using lately, because a lot of what gets me wound up into the sympathetic state and keeping myself there is about my thoughts and beliefs. So I've been playing with the following four thoughts, trying them on, seeing what results they create for me. If you're on my mailing list, you've received these already in an email. And if you're not on my mailing list, what in the world you're missing out, get to my website and sign up. I say this kindly and compassionately, of course. Multitasking doesn't actually help me to get any more done. We think we're awesome multitaskers, that we can check email, work on a project, all while being on hold with the doctor's office, and we're doing it all well. But the reality is that the task switching that happens when we go back and forth between these tasks both slows us down and makes our brains feel like the work we're doing is harder. This is a no-win. Let's do one thing at a time. Rushing doesn't actually allow me to get things done more quickly. A lot like multitasking, rushing makes us feel like things are getting done more quickly. But when we rush, we're riling ourselves up, we're no longer as focused, and we're more prone to make errors, which means the work has to be done again. Instead, remember that slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Take a deep breath and slow down. Just in time is actually on time. I've always been one who likes to have tasks done ahead, mostly to avoid rushing, but I'm learning to see that getting the job done just in time is still very much on time. This was especially crucial as I recently had a series of obligations all in the span of a few days. I scheduled time to ensure the priorities were completed before the deadline, and then I let it be. I trusted that I would do them in the time that I had set aside for them, and that was big for me. This time of a letting it be, though, allowed me to take care of myself. And my last rule, my new thought I'm trying on, 
it isn't actually all supposed to get done. Gretchen Rubin, who's the author of The Four Tendencies and the Happiness Project, talks about secrets of adulthood. My own secret of adulthood is the idea that it isn't all actually supposed to get done. As high achievers, we think that everything on our to-do list is supposed to get checked. It wouldn't be on our to-do list, either personal or professional, if it wasn't crucial. But the reality and we know this folks, is that one of the most important jobs of organizational CEOs is to decide what the priorities are, what gets done and what doesn't. Be the CEO of your own work and life. One last thought, something that may have occurred to you as we've been talking is the idea that showing up this way has actually served you well. It's made you a success or it's at least contributed to it. For sure, I relate to this entirely. I would suggest spending time thinking about exactly how much this is true, how showing up in this fashion has led to your success and is something that you've been rewarded for. And this goes back to something that I say quite often, which is this, if this is working for you, great, stick with it. And I mean that sincerely, if there isn't a problem, it doesn't need fixing. But if you are tired and burned out, it's no longer working. And there are ways to begin working on this. And I'd like to help you do that. What got us here, this way of working and showing up in the world may not be what gets us to the next level of success. So what's next? On next week's episode, we're going to revisit stress and rest cycles through this lens, integrating more body-based and nervous system informed strategies to assist us with moving from the sympathetic nervous system or even the deep down shutdown state into a healthy regulated state where we can cycle gently between sympathetic and parasympathetic in a way that supports our goals. In the meantime, download the worksheet for this week's episode at stephanieleecoaching.com forward slash episode 27. And it will provide you with some prompts to get you thinking about what we've discussed today. And if this work lights you up, you may be a candidate for one of the one-on-one -on -one coaching packages that I'm opening up this month. Coaching one-on-one -on -one with me offers you the opportunity to truly invest in yourself and the creation of the second half of your life. We'll uncover how you're keeping yourself stuck. We'll look at patterns that you have that are creating burnout and overwhelm and what to do about them so that you can even have the energy to think meaningfully about your life. We'll take a look at the story that you tell about your life and see where it's serving you and where it's not. And where you want to, we'll rewrite it together. We'll clean all of the junk out of the way so that you can get clear about what it is you want for the second half of your life. We can't go after goals we don't know we have. We're going to figure out what the things you want really are. I'm only offering a few of these one-on-one -on -one coaching slots. All of them are going to be a weekend afternoon. We'll do 24 sessions over the course of six months. Now, if this sounds like exactly what you need to wake up to your life, let's get to work. Go to my website at stephanieleecoaching.com. I have some slots reserved through the middle of January for discovery calls. These are going to go quickly. So if this is something you're interested in, go ahead and sign up. If the times on my calendar don't work for you, let's chat. Email me at hello at stephanieleecoaching.com and we'll find a time that does. Thanks for sticking with me through the 27th episode of Not Your Mama's Midlife Podcast. 
And I do hope you'll join me back here on your favorite podcast player or YouTube for our next episode. Wherever you listen, please do like and subscribe. Tell your friends. And if you're enjoying it, leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find the show. Have a great week. And I can't wait to chat with you again soon. Bye.